Amen. Carrie, would you pray for our time in the Word? Yes. Father, I <coughs> do lift up our time today, God. We thank you, God, that you have afforded us this opportunity, God, that we would never take it for granted, Father, that we would come into your presence, God. Like it says in Hebrews, that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, Father. Thank you, Father, that you have extended that for us, God. I pray as we meet in many other churches, Father, me all over this nation, God, that it would be honoring and pleasing to you, God. Father, that we would focus and fix our eyes upon you and you alone, and we would walk away changed as we cannot encounter you and your word, Father, without being changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go into a time of worship.
Well, Father, we thank you, Lord, that your love endures forever. <laughs> I pray, Father, as we come together this morning, and Lord, we thank you for this morning and for the your new mercies that are found in each new day. And Father, I pray, God, as we open up your word, Father, that our hearts will be of good soil, Lord, to receive it. I pray, God, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we will allow you, Father, to bring correction and discipline to our lives. It's my hope, God, that our roots will continue to grow down deep into Christ. Father, that we would live lives that honor you, Lord. Father, that we would be satisfied in Christ. That we would know our identity is in Christ. If we are truly believers of Christ. People who have been born again of a new nature. Pray that we would walk according to your will, Father, in step with the Holy Spirit. That we would not give in to the desires of the flesh. But that we would remain victorious in Christ. And not enslaved to the temporalness of this life. So, Father, have your way among us and in us and through us this day, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The three R's for this year, to repent, resolve, and to release. So let's look at repentance. The action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. And the scripture I tied in with this, even though when we do talk about repentance, I give us a lot of scriptures. But from the scripture I tied in in hopes that you would meditate on and, 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 and apply it to your life throughout this year is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 through 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. So when we think of the word repentance, it's a turning away from and going in a complete new direction. I love it when scripture tells us here, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. It doesn't allow us to remain in sin. That it leads us away. There's transformation that comes from our lives. The Bible tells us how does he transform us by changing the way we think are we taking thoughts captive are we sincerely wholeheartedly seeking christ throughout the day i keep reminding us we are behind enemy lines you still have a flesh nature that will love nothing more than to feast off the temporalness of this life it will love nothing more than to give the enemy a foothold to where he would develop a stronghold. And again, a stronghold is a pattern of thinking that is an opposite. It's complete. It's contrary to the word of God. And so you remain enslaved and in bondage. But the good news for Christians is that the word of God says that he gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish these strongholds. As Christians, we know that the Word of God gives us the hope and the understanding 
that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And scripture also encourages us that he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Are you living a godly life? Are you experiencing a godly life? Because you ought to be as a believer. As a believer, you there should be fruit coming from your life. Because you're allowing the Word of God to dwell richly within you. You've allowed your roots to grow down deep into Christ. You're maturing. And this is what this year is about. We're in August now. How are you maturing? How are you growing? How are you allowing repentance? The act of repenting to be active in your life daily. Not just a one-time little prayer. It's a lifestyle. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know you ought not to be doing what you're doing. You know you ought not to be taking in what you're taking in. You know you ought not to be speaking what you're speaking. You know you ought not to be touching what you're touching. You know you ought not to be going where your feet are dragging you. And you know you ought not to be thinking as you're thinking. So what excuses are we making to keep us enslaved to sin? Because the Bible tells us we're not to be slaves to sin, but we're to be slaves to righteousness. You are a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. If your belief and your confession that He is the Son of God and that He is rose from the dead, if that is your belief and your confession, then you have been born again, so now you're called to live as such. And repentance is vital for your life. For your life. And isn't it interesting when I encourage us that we are behind enemy lines? Are we really grasping that? Are you getting up each and every single day understanding it's an all out war for your soul? It's an all out war for your soul. And not just for your soul, but the souls of your loved ones, the souls of your co workers. The souls within your community, within the nation, and within the nations. It's an all-out war that's taking place. Are you dressed for battle? Are you engaged in battle? Not in your own strength, but in Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to live upright in a crooked and perverse generation. The second R, to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action, make up one's mind. You've repented. You get up. And true repentance leads you away from sin. doesn't keep you enslaved to sin. It leads you away from sin. And in going away in a whole new direction, you have to make up your mind. You have to take thoughts captive. You have to bring them into the obedience of His Lordship. You've got to know your God. You've got to live for Him. You've got to love Him. The greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. You've got to resolve. You've got to get up every single day and keep that before you. Because when the tempter comes, when the flesh is, is, is incited, when the world wants to bombard you, you've got to remind you that Christ is enough. That God, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my body, with all of my strength. 
When's the last time you've stood up and you've pressed on, you resolved to move forward and letting the love that you have for Christ be that which drives you to Him. To love Him. It's the greatest commandment. It is vital that you have an active lifestyle in Christ. That you're learning to love Him. That He is enough. That He satisfies you. That He completes you. It's all about Jesus. This weird Christianity that's being promoted and has been promoted since day one of the church. Where you just come as you are and remain as you are. When the enemy lies to you and gives you the opportunity and the the okay to keep living however you want to live. That somehow you believe the lie that it's okay to deny Christ by choosing to live contrary as he has stated you ought to be living. To hear the lie that you just look at your Christian life and you make it about yourself. That somehow... We, 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 we hear preachers preach, we, we open up the Word of God, and it's okay for everyone else to live religious or, or holy, but I'm not going to go to the extreme. I, I'm just going to take the crumbs, and, and that's going to satisfy me. What kind of craziness is that? You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, you don't see it anywhere. No, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. It is all about Jesus. People say, well, that's extreme. No, what you're listening to is a lie telling you it's an extreme. Do you understand your soul? Do you understand? I, I can't make it even, I can't make it clear to you. I could just share the word of God. It's up to the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to you. God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. But when you recognize Jesus, when you're when the truth hits you, when your eyes are open, your world changes. When you are born again of the Spirit, you will not go back and settle for what's back over here. Oh, you may try to dip your finger in it every now and then, but it's not going to satisfy you. <laughs> it's not going to satisfy you. Because you've already resolved, you've made up your mind. Oh, wait a minute. There's something greater than what's in front of me and what's before me. We're trying to find our identity in the temporalness of of, of our lives. And and I keep reminding you all, you're dying. That's the reality. Every step you take is leading you closer to the grave. The reality, at any moment, you are going to drop dead. There is no escape from death. But in the midst of that reality, of that truth, there's hope and there's life. You see, God so 
loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. The Bible says that he loved us, yet though we were in complete rebellion towards him. If we will only listen to Christ, if we would listen to the word of God, we would, the, the enemy would be silent. What has whispered in your ear this week? What has been whispering in your ear that you're in agreement with that keeps you from getting closer to Christ? To growing in your faith. That's the question for all of us. It's an all-out war for your soul. You've been born in to a nature that is in complete rebellion towards God. The enemy wants nothing more. Your flesh wants nothing more. The world wants nothing more than to hold you down. But the very one who created us, the very one who loves us, the very one who knows us intimately, the one who formed us and fashioned us is pleased to reveal himself to us and tells us, do not settle for the temporalness of this life. Don't settle. Come to me. Come to me. Seek him and you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. Or you can just keep listening to the lies. And say, well, I don't have to be that extreme. I don't have to be that religious. I mean, the enemy even twists the, 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 the understanding of God's love to pervert people to keep them from God. Well, we all can't just go around being holy. I mean, listen to the lies that the enemy tells you and tells others. Well, if we lived all out for Jesus, we're not going to have a place in this world. That is truth. And yet somehow the enemy places it in our understanding and that makes us pull away from Christ. And it ought not to make you pull away from Christ. It ought to make you open up and realize, wait a minute, what am I living for? Because yet though we're dying, we were created for eternity. And your soul is going to be either one place or another for eternity. With Christ or apart from Christ. And I keep telling us there's no error found in God. Trust me when I tell you I have exhausted myself throughout my life, even the first four, a few years or more of my Christian life, to try to find error in God. There's none. There's none. When you get to know Him, when you see Him for who He is, when you understand the love that he has for you, when you understand the fullness that is found and the wholeness that is found in him, you will not settle for less. Do you know why you settle for less? Because you see no worth or value in yourself. And so you go chasing after things, places, people that actually you don't belong with. 
You don't belong there. You don't belong with them. You don't belong chasing this. Because you're trying to find some sense of worth or identity. You're longing for the wrong thing and the wrong person. When all along God is saying, I am here. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I am here, he says. I am your shelter. I am your comforter. I am your provider. In the midst of all out war against you, I am here. Years ago, I taught on Psalm 23 and always encourage us. We all not just read that psalm at a funeral. That should be an everyday psalm you're reading for spiritual warfare. You've never yet, you've never been discipled into spiritual warfare. You don't understand spiritual warfare. It's time you start learning because listen, things are heating up throughout the earth. I keep encouraging us and telling us it's only getting darker. It's going to get more crazier. It's going to get more violent. It's going to get crazier. And, and the level of perversion, strife, division, murder, you name it, it's just going to get crazier. And yet God tells us it has to. Because that's what fallen, broken people do. It's just crazy. A world enslaved by Satan. A world enslaved in its own world system. And all of it's working together to ultimately usher in Christ. See, what the enemy is doing, he's been given the right to do. Run him up. But he's already been defeated. There's a day coming. And oh, how I pray that you're longing for that day because as believers, that's how we're to be living. See, we're thinking upon the wrong things. You have to have a renewed mind. You've got to resolve to make up your mind. Listen to the scripture, Romans 6, 11, verse 12. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. And people hear that and they go, oh, so then you're, you're, you're preaching perfectionism. You're, 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 you're saying that, oh, you're burdening us that we have to be perfect. But no, 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 it's not about being perfect. It's about growing. It's about maturing. We're not perfected until we are with him. But until then, you ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing. You ought to see sin for what it is. Oh, you say, I'm never going to sin. No, no, no. It's different, though, as a believer, as one who's been born again when you sin. That's why 1 John tells us, I write to you that you will not sin, but if you do, remember Jesus. (laughs) Remember your love for him and his love for you. Remember all that he has done for you. He has defeated the power of sin and the power of death. That's good news for you. Like he came knowing that his creation was going to rebel against him and kill him. And yet he did that for you. He had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. He knows those who belong 
to him. And he laid his life down for you. No one else is going to do that. No one else is going to love you. And yet we settle for this temporalness of love. This temporal definition of what the world and what our flesh creates love to be. In reality, you really don't know love unless you truly know love. Jesus. God is love. Doesn't mean that you can't have love, an expression of love with others. But when you know Jesus, you just don't throw that word around. You just don't yoke up and hook up and call it love. No, no, you have an understanding and a respect for it. You understand. And so you make up your mind, you resolve to live right. You resolve to stand up. You, re- you resolve to know in and of yourself you can't, but he can in and through you. You understand that church is more than just showing up. No, church, you're, the, you're part of the church. You've been engrafted into the body of Christ. You're needed to live out this Christian life amongst believers, amongst a fellowship, because it takes all of us. I watched yesterday and I posted it. Oh, please go take time to watch the video from yesterday in Portland when the church gathers for service, for prayer and worship. And Antifa shows up, throws rockets, throws firecrackers, sprays the church down with with mace or whatever they use. They first attack the children group. They begin to tear apart the sound system. They begin to beat up on uh, uh, pastors and other people of the congregation that just gathered in a park. And what the police are standing by watching all of this happen because that state is being run ragged with Antifa. And you hear the people from Antifa cry out, Where's your God now? Mocking God and mocking Christians. And I go, oh God, have mercy upon them. The same thing as Jesus was being beaten, ripped, his body being torn to shreds. The enemy was crying out, where's your God now? The disciples dispersed, his followers left. He was alone, being mocked, being spit upon. And all along knowing it had to happen. All along knowing that this was purposed from the beginning. Remember God's plan, you all, from the beginning, even before he spoke the earth into an existence, that he will have a people, that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. And yet people are gathering today all throughout our nation, throughout the earth they have gathered Do we truly know our God? And when you got up this morning, you thought about church, you thought about the fellowship of believers. Did you think of Christ? Did you think of the rich opportunity that he's given you today to be a part of a family, of his family? To be a part of Christ. Because the church is his body. He is the head. Did you resolve in your mind to get up and say, God, thank you. Did you 
thank him even for giving me the opportunity to come today to hear his word. Are you hungering for the things of God? And if you're not, don't listen to the lie of the enemy and beat yourself up like, oh, I'm a, I'm a horrible Christian. I, I can never meet up to all these standards. Because again, you're, that's just you. You're focusing on you. You're allowing the enemy in your flesh and, and, and the world system to make it about you when it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with Christ. He's the one that begins this work in us. He's the one that will not neglect the work of his hands. He's the one that has purposed you and planned you for today, for this darkened generation. You were purposed to live for Christ. And just as extreme the world is getting, child of God, you should get even more extreme for Christ. You're going to have to learn to stand up You have to be a kingdom-minded person. And if you're not learning the kingdom, if you're not being discipled as a Christian, if you're not allowing fruit to be produced in your life, then you're just religious. And then you're no different than those who are lost. Your church attendance, your prayers, your posts, your prophetic words, your, 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 your religious duties, your service, it's not going to amount to anything if it's not truly based in Christ is your Christian life based on the Holy Spirit Spirit living in and through you to resolve to make up your mind to consider yourself dead to the power of sin I mean what again I'm going to ask you what excuses have you made this week to not live for Christ? What excuses have you given yourself the right to chase after temporalness? To to allow the temporalness of life to define you more than your faith in Christ? Well, I'm okay when I just come to church. I feel a little bit good. But what happens when you leave? Like you are being bombarded every single moment. The enemy is not lighting up. So when I tell you you're behind enemy lines, you can say, oh, Ronnie's just extreme. Oh, you can laugh and mock all you want, but I'm telling you, there's a movie called Ghost. I don't know if it's an old movie, years ago. And the the scene, every time someone dies, these, these demons come up and they drag them off. You think warfare isn't real? There's a level that you cannot see. The Bible says, that's what you're in war against. They want nothing more. It's a great, it's a great illustration of, of being dragged away. <laughs> and the screeching that takes place as they're dragging people away. I mean, again, do you understand your soul? I know, I know you care about your, your, your flesh and your desires and your wants and I just got to feel this, I just got to have this. You understand what's driving that? It's a nature that is in complete rebellion towards God. And that's the nature as a Christian that you, are di- that you say that you're, you're dead to when you come to Christ. Because you've considered the cost. You say, God, 
I surrender. It's not about cleaning your life. It's not about coming, okay, now I've got my life together. Oh, no, you'll never come to Christ. No, it's recognize I never will get my life together. I cannot live up to these standards. I cannot measure up to everything that I'm hearing. But that's the whole purpose of why he came. Because I can't. But you did. And you did it for me. Do you see the difference? Do you see the lies? If you sit down and you talk with people, why people don't believe in Jesus, why people don't come to church, you'll hear the lies that they've heard and that they believe. And that they point their finger at God or they point their finger at the church. In reality, they need to be pointing their finger at themselves. Like, listen, we gotta wake up, you all. We gotta wake up. Like, I wish I could shake all of us and rattle all the filth and junk that's keeping us bound off of us. But I can't. But He can. He can break every chain. He can break every pattern of sin in your life. He can renew every wrong mindset if we would just let him. If we would just trust in him. Again, think about where you spent the majority of your time this week. What have you been thinking upon? What have you been taking in through your eyes and through your ears? Where have you gone that you ought not to have gone? When should you have spoken up for Christ, and yet you denied him and just went along with everyone. Like I'm telling you all. It's not, it's not even, it's crazy. Like I keep waking up and the world is getting crazier. I mean, you just don't have to take my word for it. Just look around. Look what's happening. And not just, it's throughout the earth, you all. It's just not here in a little over America. It's throughout the earth. Do you not see the unsettledness that's taking place? Do you not see the marches that are happening in France, in Italy, and what's happening in Australia? Do you see what's happening over in Greece? Do you, do you see what's taking place around the earth? God, that should awaken us to go, what is taking place? I'm telling you, the word of God it's the only spiritual book that has ever been written on this earth. And everything that's in it is taking place or has taken place. And we are comfortable with just slapping Jesus on our lives and going, okay, I'm a Christian. Oh, God, help us. That's why we're in the Word. That's why you've got to get grounded in the Word. I remember when I first came to Christ, I didn't have church around me. In fact, I was told when I was looking to get into churches that I wasn't accepted. And praise God, I didn't let that wound me and keep me down and oh, how bad the church is. I knew God called me. There's a hunger for His Word. And you've heard me say it over the years. My, my prayer to God is, who am I now? I know how I would live. I know where I would go and what I would want. But who am I now? Because I really believe. I just began to devour his word. And I told you, there was times that there was a wrestling. Have you ever picked up the Bible for yourself and you just look at it and you went, oh. even before you started, you're already exhausted. 
but you can do stuff that's fleshly based, flesh based, and you're not exhausted. You can go for hours. And you can take so much in and learn so much from the world system. And so don't do you not realize the warfare that takes place to keep you from truth? Do you not realize the enemy wants to blind your eyes and hold a tight grip on your soul? And you're out there running, settling for, for, for the crumbs. Well, this relationship makes me feel good. I just, I just gotta have her. I just gotta have him. <laughs> or this temporal thing, or, or this over here, this possession, or this or that. And again, there's nothing wrong with having relationship and temporal things. You can enjoy the fruit of your labor, but they ought to be lined up <laughs> with the one whom you say you belong to. God desires you if he calls you into a relationship, into marriage, or maybe he calls you into singleness and he gives you that peace that it's okay. We're not forcing people to be married. We're not forcing people to stay single. It's not bad to have a nice things and a nice home and a nice car as long as those things don't have you. As a Christian, you ought to be giving you ought to be giving freely, advancing the kingdom of God. And not because the church is pressuring you to give and all they want is our money. No, but it is about, about advancing the kingdom. We understand we're behind enemy lines. We understand we're, we're in a culture, in a world system that you need money to advance. So you give to the causes of Christ. There's a way in which you ought to be growing and shaping your mindset and your heart as he is working in and through you. That's why Jesus himself tells his disciples, go into the world, preach the gospel, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey all of my commandments. And yet what I find the most with Christians is that they're ignorant of his commandments. But they're quick to defend their flesh and their sin. Not, every, not everything's holy. Not everything's about Jesus, Rob. And I go, what the heck? What are you living? What are you thinking? Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? And I've asked people over the years, please show me the scripture. Or the excuse you've heard me say before. Oh, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good Christian. What are you trying? You're exhausting yourself. Let him in. What does that look like for your life? These three R's, that's why I want to encourage you in them. Repentance, resolve, and then to release. You have to learn to get over yourself. You have to learn to stand up and look at yourself in that mirror and grab hold of yourself and say, no more. Oh, I know all about you and what's dragging you to this, to this, to this, and that. But no more. I'm serving your notice. I'm following Christ. It's an all-out war. And if you're not engaged in it, you're going to be dragged away. 
But I said a prayer, your prayers don't amount to nothing. But I went to the altar, doesn't matter. I spoke of Jesus, it doesn't matter. You say all the things you want to say, make all the excuses. But I'm telling you, because the word of God tells you, if there's nothing coming from your confession and your belief, what do you have? Just empty promises and empty words. I mean, there's going to be people who stand before him and think that they're in. They're a sure win in. Well, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? I don't know you, he says. Depart from me. I mean, do you understand the level of warfare? I mean, I don't know if you read the post that I posted about James, the little boy James in Texas, who is now going to be forced to go through a horrible transition that he himself doesn't want. And the courts are making it happen. They've turned him over. And I read and I posted it. This lady who's involved with their lives, her brokenness and her heartbrokenness over this, she kept saying, where's God? I'm lost at a time of this. I mean, listen, you all, things are going to happen in your life. You're behind enemy lines. But your faith has got to be able to carry you through. And she begins to end as she wraps up her post. She turns back to God. It doesn't mean you'll never question God. It doesn't mean in those intense times that you're not going to wonder where he is. But then I go back to Psalm 23, as I said earlier. It's a psalm of spiritual warfare. The Lord is my shepherd. Go read it this week. Declare it. Get it out of your mouth this week. Do you know him? Are you intimate with your God? Because when you know him, even when you sin, you know that's not where you belong. You'll get right back up. You won't excuse the filth that comes out of your mouth and the unforgiveness that you're holding on to. You won't keep chasing after all this temporal stuff that's trying just to destroy you. Your life was meant for so much more. The world is chaotic. But there's a line in that psalm that I shared years ago when I taught on it. As he says, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy. Do you read the Bible and really try to understand what, what God is saying to you? It's like a personal love letter. You ever received a love letter by, from someone that, that, that you feel like, oh, they're the one? Like it does something to you. Well, that's what the Word of God should do. That's what the Word of God should do. It should, it should, enti- it should encourage you and strengthen you and, and just entice you to draw closer to Him. When I'm exhausted by the end of my day, I had to turn to the Word of God. When I get up in the mornings, I know that I know what's ahead of me. I know I'm behind enemy lines. I gotta turn to the Word of God. Throughout the day, if my day is up and down, left and right, I gotta go to the Word of God. 
because it's so rich, it's so satisfying. Do you understand what it's saying to you? Like when you hear God say to you, whisper in your ear when, when you're going through a chaotic time, I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. What does that mean? See, I had to seek God years ago when I was going through one of the darkest challenges, challenging time in my life as a Christian. And all I kept doing, throwing up to God, was I was telling him I'm all about all these issues in my life, all these enemies. And I heard one time just him speaking so softly to my heart, that verse. And it caught my attention. I remember saying, Daddy, what does that mean? Take your focus off the enemies. Oh, they're encamped about you. But come, sit at the table. And that's something that you'll see all through Scripture. There's something about fellowship. There's something about breaking bread together. There's something about eating. And that's kind of why we designed our type of fellowship, to have that time together. Because there's something about it that's really intimate, to sit down and to break bread and, and fellowship and eat together. Because all of a sudden you're involved in that. And all of this that's going around, especially when you sit down at the table that he's prepared for you. And you've heard me say, I talked to God when, when he was showing this to me, and I was like, but take care of this, and, and take care of that, and what about this? And no, 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 look at me, son. Look at me, daughter. Like, I got you. I got you. Let them encamp themselves about you and try to destroy you. But I got you. Do you know that God has you? Do you get up with that certainty each day? If you don't, I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know why you're not close to him. And I don't know why you're not sharing this with others. Like, I don't know why. It's not about just going to church. It's just not about, oh, God. No, it's a lifestyle. People should see it in you. They should see that there's something different. You're changing. You don't act the same anymore. You're not going to the places you used to go to. You're not talking the way you used to talk to. What is going on with your life? Who are you? I, can, I don't even know you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I've given my life to God. I'm serving him now. And listen, they're either going to be a, 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 you're either going to be a fragrance of life to them or a stench of death. You're not, you are going to be pushed out of society. You are not going to be wanted. You are going to look odd and peculiar to everyone. But that's okay. That's what happens. Jesus tells us this. This world is not our home. just here for the time that we're purposed for. And God is pleased to reveal himself to us, you all. You're talking about God, the eternal God, the only God, who is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, that in the end you'll have to stand and give an account to. And it's not to scare you into his kingdom. But it's just the reality. When you're finally awakened 
and you go, oh, wow. See, when your eyes have been open, when the scales have fallen off, you take a step back and go, oh, wow. Like, oh, this is real. It's a whole different way of living, you all. It's not just pretending you're saved, slapping Jesus on your life and just going about your way. That's not Christianity. It never has been. I know that's what the enemy has perverted it to be. I know that's what that's attacking the church nonstop, 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 nonstop. But if you're comfortable in sin, if you're comfortable just keep going and going and going and going, then hear me today, you're not a Christian. And I plead with you to come to Christ. Stop playing the game. Stop being blinded. Stop being defeated. And Christ has so much more for you. So much more for you. The final R is to release. The act of setting free or letting go. So John 8, 36. So if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. Freedom. This is what it's all about. Freedom. Liberty. Hope. You can get up no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going to walk through, because you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But he will be with you. You will feel his discipline, but that rod of discipline will comfort you. You will go through and you will endure. God is for you. He's not against you. See, when you know your God, there's a confidence that you have not in yourself, but in Him. It's all about freedom. To truly live a liberated life. To truly live you all. To embrace the fullness of life. So then, as a believer who is born again, oh, death will come, but it's not victorious. And so we don't have to be afraid of death because we've already died to ourselves. And now we're living for Christ. And now we're just waiting to be in his presence. Now we're, now we're good stewards of what he has given us upon this earth. Looking forward to the day of his return. Oh, because it's coming. He's coming. Oh, he's coming. And everything is ushering him in. And there's going to come a day where he's going to call those who belong to him home. And oh, what a joyful day that will be. But we don't have to wait to, to experience the fullness of freedom in Christ until we get there. You can experience it here and now, even in the midst of all the chaos, even in the midst of all the unknown. You can still find the joy and the hope in Christ that you need each day to continue on. To continue on. I mean, I was watching these Christians be attacked yesterday. And I said, God, don't let them grow weary. Don't let them get discouraged. Oh, may they press on. Even though their enemies are chanting in their face, where's your God now? Even though it looks like that the enemy has won. Oh, no. He hasn't won. He's just doing what he's been given the right to do, to run amok. 
God you are is gracious and kind. And we need to pray for our enemies. We need to live differently. We need to live as Jesus lived. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in and of ourselves we can. That's why this is a new way of living. Go to Galatians. We're going to spend some time in Galatians this morning before we start walking through the Word. So let's go to Galatians. The Book of Freedom. Ah, scriptures you've heard before. (laughs) And you say, why do we go back to stuff that we've heard before? Because it's all we have. (laughs) It's all we have. Give us something new. No, chew on this. It's new every time you open up the Word. I don't know if that's happened to you. You go, well, I've read this before, but good grief, that's something new. It's the living Word. So Galatians, look at this. Chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. There's only one good news. It's Paul writing to the church in Galatia. He says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those, look at this, who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And in our day and age, this is what's happening. It happened then. And it's happening now. You've got these main evangelical people who have this huge platform, who have been solid teachers, solid worship leaders, solid, solid evangelists, solid, solid intercessors. And all of a sudden, we've got to rethink what we've been teaching. We have to, we have to redesign Christianity. We have to adapt to the culture We've been misinformed and we've misinformed others about Christ. And you go, what? It's an all-out assault, you all. You're behind enemy lines. Don't think that I'm just living a quiet life. I'm not not going to say hallelujah too loud. I'm just going to love Jesus by myself. That's not the Christian life. It's not the Christian life. (laughs) They are deliberately twisting the truth about Christ because they're followers of Satan. They're lovers of self. They've been enticed by the world system. And Paul is saying, I'm shocked. Think about your week. Think about the week you had. If it was displayed upon the screen now that we all can see, would we be shocked? Well, shocked that you've turned away from Christ. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God. And you went towards that? You went towards her, you went towards him, you went towards this and that? What were you thinking? It's all about the mind, you all. As you think, so you go. And so when you hear twisted teachings, 
or when you hear the lies of the enemy and your flesh gives him a foothold that again develops a stronghold it's a pattern of thinking that you give yourself the right to live however you want but yet somehow think that you love God <laughs> no like you're to guard your mind and guard your heart Trust in Jesus. Don't turn so quickly from him. Listen to everything that's being taught and line it up with his word. Listen to what you're processing and thinking and going through. Does it, is it in agreement with God? And if it isn't, you better learn how to stand. You say, well, I don't know how to stand. Well, then get discipled. Oh, I don't have the time. You don't know my work schedule. You don't know this. You don't know that. Well, then be led astray. You have got to determine in your hearts of hearts, like, God, I'm, I'm yours. And I'm living for you. I'm not going to continue just to live for myself. Like, I've considered the cost. And so Paul had to bring correction to this church. Go to chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. He says here, But even before I was born, this is Paul, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, I would encourage you, you don't know all that he's saying before this or even after. Go read Paul's testimony. He was a solid Jew, a Pharisee, well taught, very educated. He was a murderer and a torture of a tor torturer of Christians. He wanted to extinguish the church and this move of people following this Jesus. And God got a hold of him because he was pleased to reveal himself to Saul, who would later become Paul through Jesus. His life changed. His life changed. And as a Jew, to go to the Gentiles, especially his status, that's huge. And yet this is what he's proclaiming out of his mouth. He tells them, this gospel I preach, I can come up with this. Oh, God has taught me this. God has shown me him, himself, through Jesus. And now he's endured all through his ministry. He's been beaten. He's been dragged out of the city, left for dead, gets back up, goes back into the city. Most of his writings that he's writing, he's in the dungeon, in the pit, of, in, in a prison. And yet he's encouraging the church. If anyone could humdrum, oh, my poor Christian life, it could have been him. But no. He writes to them. He's encouraging them. And he's reminding them that it's God who begins this work in you. It is God who is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. Go to chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Now, listen to this. This is a bold declaration that you yourself could pray and speak over your life if it's true. God is not a respecter of person. What he did in Paul's life, he'll do in your life if you would just let him. Paul was purpose for that generation. 
King David was purposed for his generation. Moses was purposed for his generation. Ruth and Esther were purposed for their generation. And could you imagine if all of these people that we read about, they're not characters and, and some story. These are real life real life people who lived in their generation. And you know what they all had in common? They love God. Do they have issues? Oh, yeah. But their love for God defined them more than their sin or their issues. And thank God they didn't listen to the lie of the enemy or what the world system was telling them or even what their own flesh was saying to them. Give it up, David. You're no king. Esther, be quiet. Ruth, stop following that crazy woman. I mean, could you imagine if they listened to everything that was trying to draw them away? But they stood for God and their generation. Could you imagine a people in our day and age that would just stand for God? Live for God. Listen, we're not turning this world back around. So understand that. A mighty move of God will sweep across the earth. I believe there's a great revival coming. But trust me when I say this, it's not going to shift everything back. Because it's bringing forth that's the one to come. So our hope is that the earth will get better. <laughs> that things will be better. Oh, no, no, no. Our hope is that Jesus is coming. So we're not in it to reverse it. No, we're in it to usher in his presence. But while we are here in the midst of chaos, because your purpose for today, your purpose for the chaos, for the darkness, for the, the, all that stuff that's coming, your purpose to stand and your purpose to, to get beaten up on, rather physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, but you're not going to give in and cave down <laughs> and broken down. No, you're going to learn how to stand. That's why it's vital. I can't say it enough. It's vital that you're living out your faith each and every single day. You're not turning it into some weird mysticism and Eastern religion and all this other weird stuff where you're just chanting scriptures and you're, you're just doing just to do and all that weird stuff. That is not Christianity. You don't need to add all this other weird nonsense in. Just live it. Just live it. Well, I don't know how to live it. Then be a part of fellowship. <clears throat> Have one-on-one -on -one disciple, discipleship. Get involved every time the doors open. <laughs> Make time for Christ. Just listen. <laughs> when it all collapses, anything can happen. Power crew power grid could go down, they can lock us down and shut us down. Anything could happen. And again, it's not to provoke fear in us, oh, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, no, no. It's just reality. Throughout the earth, it's getting crazier. Anything could happen. We're living in the most chaotic times and it's just going to get worse. <laughs> So where's your hope? Where's your peace? Plagues are running amok over the earth. 
I was reading about some monkey virus now. Some man from in Texas brought it in. They don't know how it's going to affect people. I mean, it's everything. Just running along. COVID, a new variant. This is that. This and that. Just everything. Unsettledness within the government. Unsettledness within leadership. I'm just, I'm, it's just chaotic. But Christ, you all. But Christ. And so look at this declaration. Chapter 2, verse 20, 21. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in my desires, in my will, in my emotions, in my needs, in my wants. Oh no, that's not what it says here. It says, I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For, it, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. You say, well, what does that mean for us today? That should be a declaration. That should be highlighted. That should be written on a, on a little cue card or in your notes or posted on your mirror so that you can continue to go and look at it and not just look at it, meditate upon it, not just meditate upon it, but declare it as truth over your life. Tell yourself. <laughs> this is your truth now. If you're a believer... Because again, a lot of people just show up for church because they're superstitious. But if you truly have been born again, this will minister to you. This would really impact your life. I mean, listen to what it's saying. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Remember, our position is in Christ. We've nailed ourselves to his cross. Trust me, that old self wants to keep rising up. We, we, we're here in Galatians where it tells us the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. Oh, that war does not cease you all. That's why you must be equipped to live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, this body that is decaying, this body that is dying, this body that is in rebellion towards God. How do I live in this now? By trusting in the Son of God. Please circle this. Understand this. Who loved me? Who loved me? You see, the majority of my life, I, I told you, I don't know how what you think of God and God's love towards you. But I was told God hated me my whole life. That God would never want me. And yet scripture says, who loved me? And not only loved me, gave himself for me. See, I don't know what lie you believe about God that keeps you from him. Oh, he's just a hard God. Oh, he's just a taskmaster. Oh, he's an angry God. Oh, how can a loving God do that? I don't know what lie you believe. <laughs> but do you hear this truth? Who loved you and not only loved you, but gave himself for you. 
I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. See, grace has been watered down and it will continue to be watered down. Now it's taught as it's a license to sin. But you know, God loves you. So just keep living how you want. No, no, God loves you. Don't, don't become super spiritual. It's okay. Uh, just keep acting a fool. It's all right. Keep living how you're living with your bad mouth and your bad manners. Neglecting your family. Making your life all about this or that or this or that. It's okay because God loves you, right? Yeah, God loves me. As if it's nothing. God's grace. It's okay, it's okay. Go to sleep, go to sleep. God's grace, oh, he just covers you. He just carries you and just loves you. He just wants to bless you. And we make the Christian life all about us. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. You're not to treat it as it's meaningless. No, when you understand grace, it's the power to transform you. It's looking at your life and others looking at your life and saying, well, something's different. <laughs> what? I know you. I know what you would be doing, but why are you doing this now? Oh, I know where you would go, but what? It's like, what someone said to me a few weeks ago. I know you, Rob. I know you. This isn't you. You're not happy. You're just denying yourself. You're denying us. Like, I know you. I've got what you want. So whenever you want to reach out and let me know, like, because I know you're not happy. No, I know I'm happy because of Christ. I know I'm dead to myself. I'm alive in Christ. I know there's no love out there, worldly love, worldly concept of love, that can ever satisfy me as I am satisfied in Christ. Oh, you got to know that you know. Because let me tell you something, you're going to be bombarded every single day. And if you're not bombarded every single day, 30 years later, boom, the door kicks open and says, here I am. You gotta be ready. Oh, you don't want things caught you off guard, cut you off guard. No, you gotta be ready. See, you gotta know that you know that you know. No, I'm not gonna treat his grace as meaningless. I'm not gonna trample on his blood as if it's nothing and just splash it up on you. Oh, no, 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 no. What he did for us, treat it as meaningless and find out what your reward will be. He will turn you over. And for eternity, you will be in a place of torment. Remember your soul? Remember what I said earlier about your soul? It is vital that you understand and not just living out of the flesh, but you value your soul. Like the very essence of who you are, like for eternity, is going to be tormented. Oh, there's no way out. Oh, that's a mean God. No, no. That's a just God. Because he only gave you what you desired. But those who are found in him, those who are not treating his grace as meaningless, for eternity are satisfied with him. For eternity are living. 
for eternity experience the fullness of life. Oh, come on, you all. Jesus, go to chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. He goes on. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Again, I ask you, give, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Again, in chapter 2, verse 21, law, if the law can make you right with God, there's no need for Christ to die. Listen, if you were able to keep the law, if you were able to be a good person, if you were able to strive to do right each and every single day in and of yourself, there would be no need for Christ. So don't exhaust yourself trying to be religious or trying to maintain some standard. No, just come. And say, God, you know everything about me. I've got nothing to hide. I can be transparent before you and before others. Because I know you're working in me. Do you know how many people sit in church tormented? Do you know how many people I counsel that they're tormented because of of Christianity? And, and And it's not the pastor. It's not the church. It's not God. It's them believing a lie of the enemy telling them they have to do this and have to do that and have to do this and have to do that. But the freedom comes when you realize, I can't do it. In fact, that's, if you've been around me or you've been around this ministry long enough, I told you that's the only time you should be in agreement with the devil. Let him come a call and to tell you that you're a horrible Christian. You're not doing things right. What are they going to think of you? Oh, better not tell them this. Better not tell them that. People sit tormented because they have sexual desires that they don't know what to do with. They have emotional instability that they don't understand how to gain control. They they have all these things that are driving them or these silent addictions or even abuse that's going on in homes. And yet we'll show up for church and let's put on our face. We have to be right. And the enemy's running amok. It's not how it's supposed to be. Remember freedom. I tell you about freedom. God, here I am with all my flaws and all my this and that. And God, all the years of, of total rebellion and hatred towards you and doing the most perverse things with your image. Oh, God. And yet he comes. <laughs> he says, but you're mine doesn't surprise me. I know what you were born into, but I've made a way out. I mean, y'all, y'all, you get it? And that liberates you. I don't have to try to perform for him. I just got to trust him. That he's done everything for me. That's, that's, that's where you, that's the point of starting to grow. Oh, how I pray you'll get there if you're not there. I don't know what keeps you from discipleship, from growing, from learning, from engaging. Well, I do know. (laughs) 
But I don't know if you're hearing all of this time after time, every other Sunday or Sunday here or there, whatever, and you hear truth. What are you doing? How are you responding? It's not about keeping all the law. It's not about doing it and doing it and doing it. There's good preachers who are going to hell. There's good worship leaders and intercessors and people who truly believe that they are, that they are, that they are, that they are, but all they're doing is works. Do you know how many preachers, you know, you know when I read studies or, or even preachers that I've had to counsel before, do you know how many people, they go home, they leave the church, and they're tormented? Do you, do you, do you, I don't know how, I don't know if you follow Christians on social media, but I can't tell you how many pastors and pastors' wives that have committed suicide in the past six months. How sad. People are tormented because they're trying so hard. Or even when I counsel people, I don't come here. The majority of the ministry that I do is from people on the outside of here. And so when I say to them, but have you talked to your pastor? Have you, have you found someone in your fellowship that you oh, no. Oh, if I did, you... And I go, do you realize what you're doing to yourself? They ought to know. They ought to know. But we just sit in silence. Blessed, I'm blessed, I'm favored, highly favored, hallelujah, God is good. You know, hello, it's good to see you. Everyone's got a face. But the soul, the soul isn't satisfied. The soul is in distress. And why would we choose that when he's come to set us free? You have purpose. You have value. You're highly loved. No, he's not pleased with us remaining in sin. Because he knows what that's going to cost you. Not that he's going to send you to hell. No, but he knows you're choosing that. Like he knows that you've heard truth. This isn't the first time for any of us to hear truth. He knows you've heard it. He can't force you to love him. He cannot force you to accept it. He can present himself to you. And then he says, consider the cost. But if you come to me, then love me with everything. Because I've got you. That's the, that's the good news, you all. Go to verse 22 of chapter 3. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom... Only by believing in Jesus Christ. Ah, let that scripture be one you take away and tuck away. Go to chapter 5, verse 1 through 15. So, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Look at that. And don't get tied up again to the slavery to the law. 
Listen, Paul, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision or religious works in our days to make you right with God, then Christ was of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit, but we who live by the Spirit, eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For then we place our faith in Christ Jesus. There is no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith, highlight that, circle that, expressing itself in love. So let them question you where your God is. Let them make fun of you. Let them say whatever they want about you and your God. <laughs> Remain rooted in Christ, you all. He goes on, you were running the race, you were, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he is the one who called you to freedom. The false teaching is, is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? Listen to this. If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. Understand that. That's all we have to share is the cross of Christ. And that offends people. You go tell people that Jesus loves them, that he laid his life down for them, that he died for them, that in return they must believe upon him. It offends people. It angers people. Why? Because we read a couple weeks ago. Why are people angry? Why are people threatened of Jesus? Because he exposes the evil intention in their heart. And this is what happens. You preach the cross of Christ. You preach Jesus and people will find fault with you. But look at all the mainline pre preachers, if you want to call them such, that everyone's attracted to. They're not preaching the cross of Christ. They're just good motivational speakers. And the Bible we read a couple weeks ago in 2 Timothy, that we realize in the last days, old people are not going to want to hear solid truth about the cross of Christ. No, what they will want to hear is what's good for their ears. Stay out of my business, preacher. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to change and be transformed. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And you're in my way. And it doesn't just have to be a preacher. You can just go and uphold truth because each of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation to go forth and to preach about the cross of Christ. And trust me, your friends, your family, your co-workers, people around you, they will be offended because they want darkness more than light. Let's just wake up. That's just the reality. And we're being reminded today, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, and no one would be offended. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom. 
my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom, dear, dear God, hear this, to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say that the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Did you hear that? If you have an issue with active sin in your life, the Holy Spirit is not leading you. You're, you're, you're living and you're moving on what is attracting you, what is pulling you, that nature. But greater is he that is in you. You don't have to continue. For God's sakes, I know what it's like to feast off crub, crumbs and crud. The filth of this earth, my body longs for it. My flesh longs for it. Wasn't easy. Each day I have to remind myself. Yeah, no. Because like, you don't want to be like that dog that returns to his vomit. Like you don't have to keep going because that's just who I am. Like to the depths of my being, that's who I thought I was. No one could have told me differently. And everything about me, not just that one part of me, everything about me. When you realize it's not about God just taking that addiction, that lifestyle, or this or that from you. But it's the whole being. It's the whole nature that is in rebellion towards God. Your lying tongue. You manipulated, you, the way you manipulate. The way you talk. The way you're seeking and whom you're seeking. <laughs> oh, we better wake up. It's your whole being. And so, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly, not sometimes, here, here and there, no, constantly fighting each other so that so you are not free to carry out your good intentions but when you are directed by the holy spirit you are not under obligation to the law of moses it's a battle that's going on and it's not about i gotta do i gotta do this i gotta do that no no, no. you just gotta surrender you just gotta trust you just gotta believe and you just gotta hope and you just gotta love huh. it's a way in which we're called to live When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And I've always told you about the scripture because the Lord knows how many times I've put it before us. We are without excuse. You can't say, well, I didn't know. No, 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 you know. You know good and well what you're doing. You know good and well what you're thinking. You know what good and well what's driving you. And this is the results. They're very clear. Sexual morality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, and he's telling the church, lest you forget. He's not talking about those lost in the world. He's telling the church, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God.
And the church goes, hogwash! Silence that Paul. <laughs> Silence that preacher. He doesn't know my struggles. He's just super spiritual. I can live however I want because God loves me. Listen, do you, do you understand? This is the word of God. Christians are not to be living like this. Well, what do I do then, pastor? I'm struggling with sexual morality. I'm struggling with idolatry, with hostility. I seem to quarrel a lot. I've got a jealous bone within me. I'm drawn to the occult, to psychics, to horoscopes. What do I do when I have these outbursts of anger? What are you going to think of me if I tell you I have this? Or if it happens in front of you and I make an excuse, don't, don't hold me accountable. Like, see, we make all these weird assumptions or, or we try to hide it. And yet we're supposed, to, we're supposed to drag it out into the light. And not just excuse it. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Sin that is just based on self, my self-desires, my self-want, my self-needs, my self-help. <laughs> and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lest we forget, reminds us, you live this way and you're not inheriting the kingdom. There's no other way around it. But I don't want a God who, who's going to tell me that then. Well, then fine. Go live however you want. I tell people all the time, you can live however you want. Go. Be free. Be happy. Do you. But in the end, your soul, the very essence of who you are. But here's some good news. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just when we show up on Sunday. Not just when we just... Do this or do that. Know every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Who does this work in us? The Holy Spirit. We'll close out here. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. <laughs> Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible, look at this, for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. 
Don't be misled. Oh, here's our verse from 2020. (laughs) You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest and decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And trust me, discouragement loves to rest upon believers. It looks like the wicked is prospering. It looks like the religious are prospering. But oh God, why Lord, why do I have to continue to do and to go through this? And we say all of this to the Lord. And the reality is we're just looking at ourselves. Oh, there's a purpose and a reason for everything you have to endure. Because it's maturing you. It's growing you. Trials have to come. So don't you curse your trials. Don't you curse your lack. Don't you curse what's pressing up against you. Don't you dare give it any type of of, of, of power over you. See it for what it is. God, you brought me here. And you'll see me through. I've learned years ago not to pray for me to get out of it. My God, just get me through it. (laughs) I want to mature in it. Trials come to produce something within you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get discouraged. If no one else is following Jesus, you follow Jesus. Trust me, there's many a days I go to myself, say to myself, God, I don't want to do this. (laughs) God said, your eyes on you. You didn't bring yourself here. I brought you here. Are you following me? Are you loving me? Yes, Lord. Well, then do as I say. Share the word. Encourage others. Edify others. As you're sharing it with yourself, and as you are encouraging yourself, and as you are edifying yourself. Give freely what I've given you. This is what it's about, you all. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest and decay and death from that sinful nature. That's what it's going to bring about, you all. And then finally, verse 14. As for me, Paul says, man, never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle you ready for this for they are the new people of God has your life been transformed that's the mark of a believer not perfection not having no struggles, <laughs> but transformed, growing, maturing, moving forward, a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of resolving, a lifestyle of releasing and pressing into the fullness of who he is. Death is coming. 
but those who are in Christ are already liberated from it. Find value in the, in the worth of your soul. It means something to God. You mean something to God. So live as such. Go to Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter 22. David is on the run. <laughs> Chapter 22. Don't worry. I'm not going to keep you here forever. <laughs> no, but we've got to see this. We're learning about our God and we're learning how He carries His people through. First Samuel chapter 22, all of this has to take place in order to get David to a place that he's ready to take the throne. <laughs> so David left Gath and escaped to a cave in Adullam. Soon his brothers and all of his relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented, until David was the captain of about 400 men. Now don't miss that, please, because think about those who Jesus calls. <laughs> he calls those who, in the eyes of the world, are not worthy. David's men were not men of stature, of men of position, or men of power. These were broken men. These were men who, who, for whatever reason in life, were not satisfied. And yet they find themselves coming to David. Later, David went to Mizpah and Moab, where he asked the king, Please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know, that God, until I know what God is, do, is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. David was hiding in caves. This was God's king. He was the man that God selected. And I love the fact that we see here there's so much we can learn as you're reading through scripture that you can apply to your own life. David wasn't cursing his season. In fact, did you see what he told the king? Until I can say here, until I know what God is going to do for me. He was trusting in God. One day the prophet Gad told David, leave the stronghold and return to the land of Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth. The news of his arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At that time the king was sitting beneath the terramish tree on the hill of Gilbeah, of Gilbeah holding his spear that spear of his, and surrounded by his officers. Listen here, you men of Benjamin, Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news. Has the son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you all generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For now one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it, my own son encouraging him to kill me as, is, as he is trying to do this very day. Then Doeg, the Edmonite, who was standing there with Saul's men, spoke up. When I was in Nob, he said, I saw the son of Jesse talking to the priest, Elimelech, son of Ahub. Elimelech consulted the Lord for him. Then he gave him food and the sword of Goliath, 
the Philistine. So there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of carrying on here. Here, here Saul is acting crazy. He's lost his mind. The Spirit of God is off of him. He's running amok. And like I said, I always told you, anything that's birth of the flesh will never bring anything good. Never bring anything good. Be careful what you're chasing after and what you're asking for. That you're putting in position above God. Because you'll get it. And you may for a season think it was the right choice. But in the end, it will scar you. Saul's running him up. And King Saul immediately sent for Elimelech and his family, who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Ethu. What is, what is it, my king? Elimelech asked. Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? Saul demanded. Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you consulted God for him? Why have you encouraged him to kill me? As he, as, he, as he is trying to do this very day. David's not trying to kill Saul, but you see the mind of a madman. He's conjured up all of this stuff that's not even true. But sir, Elimelech replied, is anyone among all of your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why is he the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household? This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you. You will surely die, Elimelech, along with your entire family, the king shouted, and he ordered his bodyguards, Kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests. Then the king said to Doeg, You do it. So Doeg, the Edmonite, turned on them and killed them that day. Eighty-five priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priests, and killed the priest families. Men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkey, sheep, and goats. And you think the flesh is your friend. <laughs> Careful of the choices and decisions that you're making, because it's not just going to impact your life. It'll impact others. These priests did nothing wrong. They were just serving Christ. I mean, serving God. Honoring God. Doing their priestly duties. They weren't caught up in all this brouhaha and chaos. But this one man, Doeg, be careful who's speaking into your ear. They may seem to be friendly. They may seem to be on your side. Be careful of those who's always in agreement with your chaos. Take that away today. They love to hear you chatter. They love to hear you talk bad. They love to hear you carry on about your life, your wife, your husband, your family, your this, your that. Because they're not your friend. Doag, he had his own purpose and his own plan. And he ended up destroying and killing all these people. But only Abathar, one of the sons of Elimelech, escaped and fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. 
When I saw Doag the Edmonite there that day, I knew he was sure to tell Saul, Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me and don't be afraid. I will protect you with my own life, for the same person wants to kill us both. On this day, on, on one day, news came to David that the Philistines were at Kiliath stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Kiliath, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid, even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Kiliath to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, go down to Kiliath or I will help you conquer the Philistines. So David and his men went to Kiliath. They slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Kiliath. Now when Abnathar, son of Elimelech, fled to David at Kiliath, he brought the ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Kiliath. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march oh my goodness, to Kiliath and besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abathar the priest to bring the ephod and to ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Kiliath because I am here. Will the leaders of Kiliath betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, oh, he will come. Again, David asked, will the leaders of Kiliath betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. So David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Kiliath and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had had escaped, so he didn't go to Kiliath after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him, oh goodness gracious, day after day, but God did not let Saul find him. One day, Horash, uh, one day near Horash, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father would never find you. You, God, this is huge are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. And that's the last time those two will see each other. Jonathan eventually dies. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gilbeath and Gilbeath and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding, they said. He is the str- he is in the strongholds of Horash on the hill of Halkiliah, which is the southern part of Jeshurun. Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we will catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there. For I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding places and come back when you are sure. Then I will go with you. And if, and if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down, even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon and the Arabia Valley south of Jishmon. 
When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even further into the wilderness to the great rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Moan. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. Saul and David are now were now on opposite sides of the mountain. Just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men, an urgent message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. David then went to live in the strongholds of Engedi. Wow, he's on the run. But God is doing great things in him and through him. Your Christian life may feel like you're always on the run. You may constantly feel as if the enemy is breathing down your neck. But trust in the fact that God's got you. He is your source of strength. He is your strong tower. He is your protector. See, that's why you have to know your God. David knew his God. Do not forget David's humble beginning. Just worshiping God on his heart. (laughs) He knew his God. He loved his God. He trusted in his God. And he kept seeking counsel from his God and all of his decisions. There's a way in which we're called to live, you all. Even in our generation, don't be intimidated by the enemy. Don't be intimidated by all the circumstances and everything in life that is thrown at you. Trust your God. Go to John chapter 10. John 10. Verse 1 through 21. Jesus is the great shepherd. Jesus' words. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Who are you following? Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These are Jesus' words to us, you all. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they didn't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too 
that are not in this sheepfold, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. He's talking about uniting not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. Everyone is in God's plan and purpose to be united with Christ. So if they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. No one, oh, will we trust this. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay down when I want to. And I also... And also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? And others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, everyone has an opinion about Jesus, you all. But what matters is your opinion. Is he your shepherd? Do you know his voice? Have you entered in? Like, again, he's not this weak-willed, hugs-and-muffin, hippie type of God. He's God, you all. He came, and he willingly laid his body down. He knew that the creation would rather love the darkness than him, but he knows those who belong to him. Do you understand it's only just a small percentage of people that are going to be with Christ. The majority of people are going to love themselves in this life. Uh, the road to hell is wide. But the road to eternal life is narrow. Jesus knew not everybody was going to turn to him, but he came for us, if you believe in him, he came to give us everlasting life, eternal life. He's our great shepherd, you all. Go to Psalm 115, Psalm 115. Oh, that we would be encouraged by the reading of the psalm, encouraging us to look up and not look out. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as, all, as are all who trust in them. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. O priest, descendants of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. All who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. 
He will bless the people of Israel and bless the priests, the descendants of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. May the Lord richly bless you and your children. May, he, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. The dead cannot sing praises to the Lord, for they have gone into silence of the grave. But we can praise the Lord both now and forever. Praise the Lord. Oh, that you would know your God, that you would have confidence in God. I'm telling you, when, when you know him for who he is, like I'm telling you, when you have the certainty that Jesus is Jesus, he is God, you all. When you have the certainty that he has filled you with the Holy Spirit, that he resides in you, that now you are the temple of God, that he has called you, he has birthed you, he has placed you here for such a time as this, you can walk with confidence, not in yourself, but in him. He will hold the world, the nations, everyone accountable. Let them rail against him in the church all they want. If you know your God, you will walk upright. You will trust him. You will honor him. You will live for him. But above all, you will love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. There's a dying world out there. Some of you are living with people who are dying. If they drop dead tonight, they will end up in hell. Be a light. Be a voice. Be encouraged to serve them, to love them. Don't unite, your, don't unite your voice and your mind with the enemy against them. Live differently. Don't try to push the law on them. Or oh, you've got to live this way. You've got to do this. You've got to clean that up. Listen, when people hear that, it puts too much on them. Give them the hope and the freedom that is found in Christ because they see something different in you. See, when you go to people, and I, I told you what the church has been doing wrong through the centuries is that we've been telling people about the Christian life. You ought to live this way. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. You have to do this. You have to do this. And they don't even know the reason behind it. That's too much for them. But when you tell them about Jesus, when they can see the impact of Jesus in your life, why don't you do that anymore? Well, I don't need to. You see, I found, I found a sense of worth and hope. And Jesus. Oh, that Jesus. And let them say whatever they want. Don't let it shake you. Well, if you ever want to talk about them, let me know. I don't have to go and bash people over the head and tell them how they ought to be. Them. They don't know. Their eyes are blinded. Their ears they can't hear. So just be the light among them. Let them know I'm here for you. You know, when I counsel people, when I share with people, or when people, God just opens the door for people just to come and pour out their hearts when you have an opportunity to, to sow life and to sow truth do it it's not you who is impacting their life it's him so know the hope and the freedom that is found in Christ so that you can share it with others again some of them some people you're going to be a stench of death they're going to shut you down but respect it Others, you're going to be a fragrance of life. 
And they're going to want to continue the conversation with you little by little, little by little, little by little. So be about your father's business. Go out there, sow the seed, water the seed, and trust that the Holy Spirit will harvest it. But please don't go sow the seed in the next hour because they don't do what you think they ought to be doing, that you curse them or yell at them or scream at them or carry on and run them up. No. Humble yourself before Christ and pray. Sitting here praying this morning. And go to Proverbs. That's where we're ending. Proverbs 15. But I've been sitting here praying this morning. And listen, when I say this, please, in your fleshly emotions, don't get insulted. But as I was sitting here praying this morning, I said, God, where's everyone? Where's everyone? This is just as vital as opening up the Word. And I know maybe you can't come every Sunday for prayer. Oh, how I wish you would be able to. Maybe you say, well, I don't come because I don't know how to pray. Well, then you're only looking at yourself. You know, but prayer is powerful. Because trust me, if something happens in your life, what are you going to ask for? Prayer. Prayer. Pray for me. Pray for this. Pray for that. Pray for this. Prayer is vital. You know that instinctively. You know that. So grow in it. There's a level of intimacy. There's a level. You want to really grow and, and be discipled? Pray. Know the, 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 the importance of prayer. And not soulish prayers. That's a whole different teaching. I won't keep us here for another hour on that. But trust me, you don't want to pray soulish prayers. You want to pray in agreement with God. And that's why it's vital to get discipled. So that your prayers are prayed in agreement with God. Prayer is vital, you all. And, it, and it, 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 it needs to be something you're growing in. Something you're involved in. One can put so many to flight. But you get a group of people. Again, you don't have to be perfect. Your Christian life doesn't have to be perfect. You, do you believe? By faith, we come together. And we say, God, collectively, we're going to come together in an agreement. We're going to pray over these requests. God, that you would humble us, that we would know the importance of our Christian life and the importance of taking up the calls to stand in the gap for others. It's vital, you all. Oh, it's vital. Psalm 15, verse 18 through 19. Not Psalm, Proverbs 15, verse 18 through 19. Two nuggets of wisdom. For the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. No. You're, no. You're not there. 15, 15. 18 and 19. 18 and 19. I'm reading 15. Ha! All right. A hot-tempered person starts fights. Well, there you go. A cool-tempered person stops them. A lazy person's way is blocked with briars. But the path of the upright is an open highway. Oh, how I pray that you are upon that open highway. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.